0: Hey, hey, turn to a book that I know you're in constantly, the book of Leviticus. Would you turn there with me? Can anything good come from Leviticus? The answer is yes. I just mentioned to you next three Sundays, we're going to be talking about table manners. But tonight, I'm going to take us on... uh, You know, I don't know, I I know kind of the scholarly term is excursus, but I think, you know, what is this, a rabbit trail? That's what they call it, a rabbit trail. I couldn't think of that word all day today. But it's a good rabbit trail. You know, some rabbit trails are like interstates that God has provided, and so uh, it's going to be one of those good rabbit trails. And I know the whole congregation isn't here with us in the middle of the week, but there's just some things that I thought were foundational I could begin to share with you all, and uh, I could use the leavening process in a righteous way. In other words, if I share some things with you all, uh, it leavens the congregation's ability to receive revelation. Because you all will go, I know that, and you're immediately receptive. And, and it's like the person who's sitting next to you that never heard this, well, they'll get it too. It'll just spill right off of you onto them. So I'm, I'm, I'm leavening the congregation with a little truth here. So, uh, so when we get to Sunday services, uh, they'll be, they'll be zoned in and, uh, it'll, it'll be received in a much easier capacity. I want to talk this morning. You can see what I've entitled it. I've entitled it the sin of familiarity, the sin of familiarity. You might also put down there, you know, losing our presumption, losing our presumption. And in the book of Leviticus, there's this really interesting passage of scripture That I want to read to you and it has a lot of new testament application So just bear with me. We're going to read about 10 verses. I've got matt back there On the calm and so he's going to help me. Let's let's read it together. It says then nadab and abihu the sons of aaron Each took his censer and put fire in it put incense on it and offered Profane Fire now some of your versions if you're following along in your bible will say strange fire strange fire they offered that before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Verse two. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. Verse three. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke saying by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy and before all the people I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. I want you to stop there uh at verse three just for a moment i want you to think about that for just a moment these are aaron's sons they just died now i don't i don't care how rascally they may have been those if those are your boys don't you know that there would have been pain involved doesn't matter how they died it didn't matter if they were in the most egregious of sin i mean as a dad you would still grieve for the death of your sons and yet aaron held his peace why did This isn't what i'm teaching out of these passages, but it's a good passage to teach this out of and that there are times particularly if If uh You aspire to leadership or even if you have influence in whatever area God has put you in that the strength of the lord has to come to you in the most difficult of times And and you've got to let that manifest because sometimes the only jesus people will see is you Isn't that true? and if they're going to see strength the strength of the Lord. How are they going to see that? They're going to see that where? In you or in me. And it's not unrighteous to grieve. In fact, I don't know that Aaron didn't go into the tent, found Moses, buried his head into his shoulder and and, and cried his eyes out for the loss of his boys. I don't know that that didn't happen. But I know before the people, he held his peace. I can tell you on more than a few occasions, as a pastor, sometimes on a Sunday, you'll walk up And you'll have all sorts of things that have hit you. (laughs) How come it always happens on Saturday? I don't know. Saturday night, usually. And you just can't collapse at that moment. I remember my wife had had a miscarriage. And when she miscarried and we went through that, and an hour and a half later, I had to get up and speak. And that was was an intensely difficult moment. But the only strength that people may ever see of the Lord is what comes through you. And you just you just can't always collapse, and so I I just always found that interesting. He held his peace, verse four, and then it says, then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uzziel. Why don't they call him Bob and Robert and, and 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 Harry and and Ted and you know I don't know. So the uncle of Aaron and said to them, come near, carry your burden from before the sanctuary out of the camp. All right, next verse. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp as Moses had said. In other words, they picked them up by their clothes and they just got them out. Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes uh, lest you die and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. Verse 7, you shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting lest you die for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you and they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink you nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. And then finally, verse 10, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between clean, unclean excuse me, and clean. Now, let me give you the point of interpretation that, that kind of sets the tone. Because in the o- Old Testament, there was a lot of killing going on. And sometimes people people don't understand how to bring interpretation to that, especially when you're a New Testament believer. And the point here isn't necessarily that God's killing everybody, but the point here is uh, that, number one, can you see how amazing God's mercies are to us under a new covenant? Isn't it an amazing thing how God is merciful toward us under a new covenant? But... These old covenant stories and happenings have critical precepts that you and I have to get a hold of because just because uh, he's not killing people instantly under a new covenant does not mean his precepts aren't as valid as important and as important. You know, you know, God, you know, God could kill us potentially, I suppose, instantly, and maybe that would, uh, you know, that would catch people's attention, but some people are dying on installment. And they're just as dead. So, so don't let the time factor uh, escape perhaps the judgment factor that God exercises in people's lives. But the point I really want to make out of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, just so we kind of understand all this, if you could post that, Matt. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, think about this. Paul writes these words to the Corinthians. He says, now all these things happened. He just mentioned in those previous verses of all the happenings of the Israelites. He kind of summed it up. He said, all these things happened to them, why? As example. Everyone say examples. You know why this story was given to us? This story was given to us as an example. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So here's the good news. We don't have to learn things the hard way. God said, I'm giving you my precept. You can look at Israel. And if you'll look at Israel, you'll begin to learn my ways. And it's an example so that you might not fall into the same hole that they fell into. Isn't that good advice? If I can keep you out of a hole, how many of you would like that? I mean, wouldn't that be great if I knew that you were headed off a cliff tonight and I could keep you from going off the cliff? How many of you would really like me to keep you from going off that cliff? I mean, is there anybody here that says I want to go off the cliff? Okay. I didn't think so. That's what those verses mean. Now, let me give you a little background of these passages. Nadab and Abihu. Those are great names, aren't they? Nadab and Abihu. They were the sons of Aaron and because they were the sons of Aaron, they were naturally in the hereditary line of being priests. Now, if we can think about this sort of in modern terms, Nadab and Abihu grew up in church. They grew up around the things of the Lord. They were in the ministry. Their dad was in the ministry. They were, they were church rats. They grew up in the temple. They probably played around the temple. And uh, they saw what their dad did every day. It was a very familiar process to them they were very familiar with the way the thing works but the problem was their familiarity grew into disrespect and they not only disrespected their father but they disrespected God himself in fact much like Eli's sons uh, we would come across later Eli's sons uh, were Hophni and Phinehas and as you recall their egregious sins were the as the women were coming to the temple they were sleeping with all the women as they would come to worship God And so God had to judge Eli's sons as well. But here we have Aaron's sons, and they were putting before the Lord this this strange fire. And uh, I'll talk about that in just a second. But, But the key was their familiarity with all that went on around the temple brought them to a place that that familiarity crossed a line with God to where he says, I have become common. In fact, the word they use there is you have profaned me. Now, or that word is just, you made me common. And you realize God is not common. There's none like him. And, and so they brought a commonness into the house of the Lord. And so what happened was, back in those days, they had censors, and the censors would have incense, and they put fire, and the fire would cause the incense to rise. And it's the imagery, really, of prayer of taking place. And so uh, what they were doing is, instead of getting their fire off the altars of God there at the temple you know, they were getting their fire from another source. Now, I don't know if they were carrying their bick and they were flicking their BIC and, and they were causing their censors. I don't know how this was going on. I don't know if if they were running late and they couldn't get to the right fire and they just started another fire. One thing Jewish tradition tells us, which I thought was interesting and which is in the passages I read to you, is that many people thought that that they were getting drunk as they were coming to do they priestly duties. And that's why the Lord said to Aaron, do not drink wine or strong drink and enter into the tabernacle lest you die. This will get you into major, major trouble. And so they've got this strange fire or it's fire that is not regulated or sanctioned by God that's going up. Now, hear me. It looks the same as the fire that's coming off the altars of the Lord. But it's a fire that they have conjured up, so to speak, themselves. And the Lord says it's out of order. And it's, it's to the place where it becomes an egregious thing before the Lord because it's just flippant. They don't have to do it according to God's pattern. They just do it according to their own agenda. And it ultimately costs them their life. That seems pretty severe, doesn't it? Now, I just want to go through a couple of things in the Bible just to bring to your attention, just to underscore under an old covenant what happens when things become too familiar. For instance... Uh, Well, this isn't even the Old Testament. When there were people who were flippant with the offering, you remember Ananias and Sapphira? They were flippant with the offering. What happened? They died, exactly. Um, In fact, we'll read uh, coming up these next three weeks in Corinthians how the Corinthian church had become flippant with the table of the Lord. And Paul literally says to them, because you become flippant with the table of the Lord, some of you are sick, some of you are weak, and some of you are dying. And it's because of the familiarity, and we will, we will jump into these ideas these next few weeks. Um, if they were flippant with worship, you remember when uh, the ark of the Lord, David was bringing the ark of the Lord back from the Philistines, and it went across Nacon's threshing floor, and Uzzah, the Levite, put his hands up on the ark to stabilize it because they weren't carrying, they weren't handling the presence of God correctly. They were flippant with it. They were doing it in an, an unauthorized pattern. Well, what happened to Uzzah? Well, he died right, right there on the spot. Um, when they were coming into Jerusalem in that same story, and David was dancing and worshiping the Lord, and his wife's up in the window, you know, And his wife's name. Some people uh, call her Michael. Some people call her, and they give the guttural sound, Michael, <laughs> like that. But it was his wife who was looking at this happening, and she becomes flippant with the whole deal and says, My, how the king has distinguished himself today. And the Scripture tells us that she became barren which to a Jewish woman was just tantamount to death if you couldn't bear children. So I share all of these stories with you, and I could go on and give you other instances where people were just flippant with the things of God and actually death came upon them. Now, having said that, I want to go back just so I'm not accused of being under the law. I, I, I understand totally that God, God is patient, God is kind, God is loving. Can you say Amen. Now, I want to say this. The Bible says that he's long-suffering, right? Now, you understand long-suffering does not mean eternally suffering. Long-suffering means it's long, but it doesn't mean it's forever. So, we need to understand that there can be certain repercussions that come about when we enter into familiarity. Now, let me give you now, I believe I posted it on the screen, the parallel maybe to present-day church. Now, I'm just setting some foundation here that's going to really help us when we, when we come to the table of the Lord. Because listen to me. If the table of the Lord has the power to cause people to be sick, weak, or die early, if we handle it flippantly, then you have to infer from that that if we handle it righteously, it has the capacity to heal us, strengthen us, and give us longevity. Would that not be... I would think that would be... a an appropriate assumption if we were to come to the table of the Lord. So what I'm trying to do here by just giving some foundation is that if we can take foundation and then God turns it into revelation, then when we as a church come to those moments when we're at the table of the Lord, we're just not taking this sentimental journey and doing this ritualistic activity that we've been doing and sort of doing it flippantly on occasion, but we're literally accessing a moment where God can come and he could heal your body. He could put another 10 years on your life. Are you following me? He could cause you to rise up in strength and not faint and become weak and throw in the towel. That could happen if we had revelation on that. Of course, if we treat that flippantly, then of course the exact opposite can begin to take place. Now you may not fall over dead. In fact, I suspect there are people flippantly taking communion and doing other things in church constantly in the 21st century, and we, we ain't carting many out dead. Uh, I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But that's not to say that we aren't circumventing and severing our purposes and potential purposes in God uh, because we've just not grasped the seriousness of what we're entering into. Now, let me give you these parallels. I think, I think and I'm not talking about legacy, I think we probably have these moments, but I'm just kind of giving you a broad stroke brush here. I, I think there's an air of familiarity and overconfidence in the life of churches who are like ours. Now, what do I mean by that? Aren't we supposed to be confident? Sure, we're supposed to be confident to go before the Lord. But, you know, to be confident to go before the Lord doesn't mean you disrespect him. Are you following me? And I I think there's an overconfidence. There's a sense of I can get away with anything and I can just run into the presence of God. I think that's the era we live in. I think I think we have so twisted some concepts of grace that we literally believe I can do anything and just run into his presence and God's good with that. And I'm here to tell you if no one else will. That's not Bible. It's not Bible. See, God doesn't ask us you know to come, you know, like a like a cowering puppy, but we're not to come in this this presumptuous overconfident, arrogant attitude. Uh, We are called upon to move really with the spirit of repentance and not the spirit of arrogance when we come into his presence. Presumption is not supposed to be there. Now, I, I put on my notes, I put prophecy here. Now, you can take this as a word from the Lord. I believe it to be a word from the Lord. I guess we'll find out if I'm right or not sometime. But I believe this is what God's impressed on my heart as a word from the Lord. And that is the reason there has not been and outpouring of glory in the earth is because of God's mercy. He is wanting to get some things in order in his church, lest we die. Are you hearing me? See, if he were to pour out his glory, (laughs) again, I'm not picking on you. I mean, you're the Wednesday night crowd. You're you're the bunch that wants to be here. I I get that. I'm just, I'm talking, I'm, I'm painting some broad strokes here. Do you understand that if God poured his glory out like he did on the day of Pentecost and in those early days in the life of the church, do you understand? We'd have to develop a cart-the-dead-out ministry because people would be croaking all over the place. And we'd have to get a bunch of guys, probably four to eight guys, that every Sunday their ministry was carrying people out. Because if he sent his glory in the current state that I think his church is in America, we'd be in a heap of trouble because I think there's a flippancy or a familiarity or a presumption that he's wanting to work out of us before he sends his glory. Now, listen to me. The Bible says that, in fact, God swears on himself. He says, as surely as I live, the whole earth will be filled with my glory. And how many of you know that when God swears on his life, you can count on it. I mean, if there's anything you can take to the bank when God says, I'm swearing on my life, as surely as I live, God ain't dying. As surely as I live, the whole earth will be filled with my glory. Well, why hasn't that happened yet? Well, he's getting us in order or he'd kill us right now if he sent his glory like that. So, you know, Kenneth Hagin, I'm not the only one that's ever said this. Kenneth Hagin once said, before the return of Jesus Christ, there will be pastors who will fall dead in the pulpit due to lack of holiness. Wow. You better get your life in order. I might add church members. They're going to see Ananias and Sapphira moments again. And so now I'll say it again. Aren't you glad that God is patient? Aren't you glad that He's long-suffering and He's kind? And He loves us. He doesn't want to kill us. He's wanting to put things in order. But we've lost the fear of the Lord. We have lost a deep respect and reverence. We've confused anointing and consecration. We have come to the place in the American evangelical interdenominational church where we believe all of our actions are somehow covered and excused by grace. We believe we can do anything and it's excused because of God's grace. That's not, that's, that's called uh, presuming on the grace of God. We have turned, it said in Jude, the grace of God into lewdness and licentiousness. And that's not what the grace of God is about. The grace of God is about empowering you to live righteously. And so So God's wanting to remind us that while his grace is sufficient, his grace is amazing. His grace is unmerited. It is a free gift. I can't earn it. I didn't work for it. He gives it to me freely as as, as I come to him. But his grace empowers me to holiness. And and in that holiness, that's that's the stature that he's trying to bring us to. Now, I I love liberty. I love the liberty of our church. I love it. When we worship God, I, you know, I was born for this. I don't want to go back to dead, deadsville. I don't want to go back to that. Uh, no way, no how. But this is the thing we've got to monitor. Some people confuse this. Because we have liberty in our church, some people confuse that for flippancy. Got to be real careful. Some people confuse liberty for presumption. Got to be careful. Because like, like Aaron and Eli... They, they did not transfer the reverence that needed to take place into the next generation. Now, these are the things that we're going to come back to in these next few weeks as we even talk about communion. But what you read here in Leviticus is exactly what Paul wants to talk to the Corinthians about. The contemporary interdenominational churches of America have in many ways lost their sensitivity to what grieves the Lord. And we're just, we become familiar and presumptuous See, I'm not against coffee pots and donuts, and we do all of these things. But there's something wrong when you worship God and you're slurping your Starbucks and you're eating your... I mean, I'm sorry. Now, I'm not against it. But, 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 but the key is, what that says is we become overly familiar and presumptuous before the Lord, at least in my opinion. I mean, why don't you, why don't you just come and bring a, a, a full course you know, make griddle with you and, and, and set up your, your picnic table there on the floor and just have at it. Just say, hallelujah. Worship God. Yeah. We sing to the King. Come, let us sing a song. Wait, I got to get my pancake syrupy here. Go. We belong to Jesus. Hallelujah. Think about that for a little bit. Are we saying, pastor, I can't bring my coffee into the sanctuary. I'm not saying, no, don't. Don't don't twist this into something it's not. Get what God's trying to get into our hearts. Familiarity. What I see in Scripture, and I'm going to elaborate more and more, is that God is taking... Listen to this. When I read this, because you understand Aaron and Eli were both priests that were instructed to raise up the next generation of priests. And this is what I see God doing. I see God taking correction out of the hands of leaders who refuse to correct and saying, I'll take care of it myself. If Aaron, if you and Eli aren't going to take care of this and bring correction to it, then I'll take care of it. And that's exactly what God did. I will correct the situation. And don't think for a moment God can't be corrective. I often chuckle. People will say to me, they'll say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm under Jesus. I serve Jesus alone. If he wants to get to me, he can get to me anytime he wants. Well, I'm just telling you, he got, he got to Hophni and Phineas. Nadab and Abihu knew what was going on. So you better, better be real careful that you understand sometimes the best deal you can have is to have some earthly correction because let me tell you, when divine correction comes, you may wish you had earthly correction. All right. Now, as I was thinking about this, I, you know, I was thinking about, you know, Trace and I pastor here and I don't think, I don't think we've been anywhere near as passive as an Aaron or Eli. Uh, but there was a liberty. I read this. This is the craziest thing. I read this and there was a liberty that came to me and the liberty was this. Now, I'm, again, understand this from, from a real broad stroke perspective. But this was the liberty that came to, to, to pastor, and it was this. It was like the Lord said, if they won't listen and connect the dots, then I'll start connecting the dots for them. Okay, Lord. <laughs> Go, Jesus. Go, Jesus. There was a liberty to that. Um, and so I just want that, though, to cause us to reflect and to, and to begin to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. And and, and again, we you, you see I me, mean, we got all these lights that flash and, and we've got sound and we can put effects and we got contemporary music and we're gonna jam and Zach gets to push the distortion pedal and 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 you know, we come relaxed and I mean these things are fine and they're in order. But let me tell you what the heart if we become flippant in this, God will not come. And, and, and that's the part I, I want to zero in on. So I want to leave you with some good news. Is it okay if I leave you with a little good news now? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for leaving us some good news. Let me, let me leave you some good news and affirmation in this story. I told you that the censor, the censor with the incense really indicated prayer. And, of course, that's, that's where the familiarity came in and that's where the judgment fell. Well, here's the good news. The good news is, is that God is restoring the place of prayer and intercession in the life of his church. He's doing that in these days. So you say, what's God up to? I'll tell you what God's up to. He's trying to get his people back to their knees and to pray again. God put out the strange fire so the right fire could be ignited again. We've tried everything in order to reach people. And I'm telling you, God's saying, why don't you get on your knees and cry out to the God of the harvest Speak to the east, to the west, to the north, and to the south. And why don't we get back to doing it God's way? And he'll begin to bring in those who he's talking to and he's reaching out to. He's putting out our strange fire. All this stuff that we, we offer up and oh yeah, we do this, we'll reach somebody. We'll do this. You know, I've done, and I'm guilty of it, I've done a lot of things all in the name of reaching someone. I'm convinced now that the best way is the way it was done the, in the good old days where we redig the old wells and we get back to interceding and to praying. If you have somebody lost in your family tree, the best thing you can do is get on your knees and put your face before God and begin to intercede again for them. You're trying, to think of, you're trying to think of a trick, something trendy. What can I do if I take them over here? You know, they have better entertainment. Maybe they'll trip into God. I'm telling you, they'll only trip into them when we get back to the place of offering up the right fire. The right fire. And here's the good news. You can pray anywhere. You can pray everywhere. But I'm just going to say this. I'm still holding out for 100 people to be here on Sundays at 930 to intercede and cry out for the harvest, to believe God in His presence to come. You know, I don't know how long ago we've done this. It probably has been three or four years ago now. But but can I just say this? That the reason we have the little we have today of God, and I believe there's a whole lot more, but I, I attribute it directly to the fact that we have said this will be a value in our midst. I realize it may not be everybody's value, but it's my value. And it'll be a value as I'm pastor. It'll be a value. And, and, and we have a great group that comes. And, and we're leavening this congregation with the passion for intercession. And, and we've got to understand we're going to change the world. We're going to change it on our knees. Washington isn't going to be changed because we get 55 or so percent of the voting block. You can change Washington when you can get about 2% of the church on its knees. You can change things. So God's restoring the place of prayer. Number two, God is raising up a new generation of leaders. It's interesting that when he removed, he killed Nadab and Abihu, it actually paved the way for Eleazar and Ithamar to stand up and take their place. That's what the Bible said. And God will take out a generation of leaders in order to raise up a new generation. And I honestly believe there's a new generation... That's coming on the scene. God is raising up a new standard of leader. And I would encourage all of my young adults that you are that generation. You are not a Nadab and Abihu generation, you're an Eleazar and Ithamar generation. I believe God can use you to step into the places that have been corrupted and that have fallen. And where people have been taken out and you can step into those places and you can begin to exercise the leadership that God wants in order to bring his church to the place that he wants it to be in these last days. Now, I realize there are some of us that are a little bit older, I I think that get it, but there's a lot that are my age, baby boomer type people, they don't get it. It's all about them. And I'm telling you, God's going to sweep away It's the all about them generation And I'm hoping that he raises up The 20-year-olds 20, 20 and the 30-year-olds And they step up and they realize It's not all about us, it's all about him He's raising up a new generation of leaders And, and I'm hoping you're hearing the call of God In my voice right now I, I'm believing that the Holy Spirit's sounding a lot like Pastor Baird right now to you Because that's what he's raising up And and, and the good news is, I can see it in in most of you. I can see this happening. It's all I realize. It's in nascent form. It's in moldable, pliable form. But the good news is, I really believe it's in you. And the good news is, is you're going to be the ones where you're going to lead the church back to the place that it was designed to be. So you're going to model that new standard. Then number three, I wrote down here, this is some good news. God recognizes the difference between mistakes and malevolence. What does that mean? Well, later on in that chapter, I didn't read it to you, but he actually has to rebuke Eleazar and Ithamar too because they did something wrong. But he doesn't kill them. Praise God. You say, well, why why did he kill Nadab and Abihu? But he doesn't kill Eleazar and Ithamar. Because there's a difference between an honest mistake and an intentional sin. There's a difference between being immature and inexperienced and doing something that you're willful and rebellious in. There's a difference in these things. Uh, Nadab and Abihu were full of pride and presumption. They, they came in, as best we know, they came in drunk. Uh, they came in saying, we don't, we don't have to follow the pattern. Shoot, it's just fire. We'll light the fire any old way we want to light it. And they came in full of presumption and arrogance. Ithamar and uh, Eleazar, on the other hand, you know, they were kind of new to this deal. They didn't know what was going on. And while they had to be rebuked and corrected, God didn't kill him because that was an honest mistake. Listen, people are going to make honest mistakes, honest mistakes. God can work with honest mistakes. God easily can, can correct and work with the issue that we're facing today is not our honest mistakes. The issue we face today, a lot of times is the presumption we know better. And that's the part that we need to repent from now. If you don't know, you know, praise God, we can help, you know, but, uh, that's the good news. Now, let me give you some action points, and, and we'll wrap it up. These are the action points. These are things that I just would challenge you to consider. All right? Number one, refire the place of prayer in your own life. You say, oh, I'm a prayer. Well, glad I'm a prayer too. Let's all just refire the place of prayer in our lives. Come on, you, need, you can find time to pray through the day. You could find 30 minutes extra on Sunday. I know you could to be here. You say, why? Why, why? why, If you got 50, 60, 70 people, why do you need me, Pastor? Well, can I just share this with you? It's not counting noses. I was visiting with Miss Louise. Can I tell the story about intercession on Tuesday? You were visiting with me, and you came in. Miss Louise came in and said, we had eight people at Tuesday intercession. And I was just, I was rejoicing with Miss Louise And one of the things that I said was, I said, you know, Jesus will come. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, he'll come. Isn't that good to know? Where two or three are gathered, he'll come. But it's just kind of fun when there's more people there. I mean, I don't know why. It's not, I mean, it's not bad. It's just you like, if you're throwing a party, it's just nice when more people. If only one person shows up to your party, that's no fun. So I know it's not just counting noses. And I understand if two or three are there, you have enough to move anything. I got that. But there's something that happens when people gather together. You know, the Holy Spirit, I guess, could have come on the day of Pentecost if there were two or three people in the upper room. But there were 120 people in the upper room, and God dropped. So, I don't know if that's a holy number or not. But I will assure you, once I get to 100 at intercession, my next one will be 120. And then we'll call it upper room moment or whatever. I don't know. We'll probably enlarge it and expand it. Can I just share this with you? If we can't, on the Lord's Day, if we can't find 30 minutes, because because people have asked, well, why don't you create other times of prayer? You know, we could do that, but I'm not going to accommodate just everybody when it's convenient to pray. It's the Lord's Day. We're coming to service. Just set your alarm a little early. Take a nap that afternoon. It ain't going to kill you for 30 minutes to get before the Lord. I I'm not going to police it. I'm not going to correct you on it. I ain't calling you up on the phone to wake you up. We'll just let God work on you. Amen. Number two, begin to break familiarity off yourself and your household. How do you break familiarity off yourself and your household? Well, are you reminding yourself that while this liberty is refreshing, I must fear the Lord. I'm glad I can raise my hands and I can jump up and down and Brad can jam and we all can go for it. But do we fear the Lord? Do we understand that as we worship him with everything we've got, we still have to have a reverence and a fear of the Lord. We can revel in his goodness, but don't presume upon his grace. Now, let's take this to the next step because it was Aaron And Eli, we're the the parents. Are we teaching this now to our kids? See, this is the one thing, and I'm going to delve into this a little bit more. I understand now why denominational churches have such structure and liturgy and catechisms and all these things. I understand why they do that now. It's because they were trying at the time to find a way to impart to the next generation the things they needed to know in order to respect... The things of the lord i i it you know i'm not a denominational person but i'm getting this now and i'm not going back to it either by the way you see in our circles what we tend we tend to be sort of market driven you know whatever people float to whatever they want to do you know we're kind of the no doctrine doctrine age you know we we put as little doctrine on our website as possible so we can have as wide a swath and not alienate anybody and what happens is is is, is anything goes and I'm just suggesting to moms and dads that we got to teach our kids. And we're going to have to teach them about worship. Because I can't preach on worship every Sunday. We're going to have to teach them about the table of the Lord. Because I can't teach on the table of the Lord every time we have communion. We're going to have to teach them these things. We're going to have to teach them about the house of God. We're gonna, Because my children... You see, when I came into the charismatic renewal, I left a denomination. When I got the Holy Spirit... And he started working in me. I mean, I had to come out of a denomination. I lost the friends of a lifetime. It was not easy. I wouldn't wish, in, in, I wouldn't wish what I went through on anybody. But for me, because of the high price that we paid in order to raise our hands, the high price we paid in order to dance before the Lord, the high price we prayed in order to have the contemporary music and to sing in the Spirit and to pray in tongues, the high price we prayed. Let me tell you, to me, let me tell you, you you pay a lot of money for something. You, You pay a high price and you respect that thing. You get yourself an old, dirty, trashy $100 car and you don't give a rip if there's a door ding in it. But you get yourself a nice Cadillac SUV Escalade, brand new, sparkling, and you drive it here to the mall, and somebody puts a door ding in that thing, and it irritates you. Well, why is that? It's, it's just a vehicle. Well, it's cost a lot. I mean, this thing is, I mean, this is expensive. Now you know how I feel about the things of the Spirit. This thing cost me cost some of you too. Some of your family members disowned you. You got kicked out of some churches. There are some people that don't want to talk to you. They think you're nuts. They won't, they won't even listen to you at work. You might've lost a job. I mean, you paid some prices to be in this thing. I know you, this young man on the front, he gets pounded. I watch it on Facebook. Cost you a little bit to come here. Didn't it? I say good for Roger, because if it costs you something, it'll mean something to you the ones that it doesn't cost anything. And that was my biggest concern for my kids because my sons and my daughter have grown up in this. They didn't pay the price to raise their hands. They didn't pay the price to to have what we have. They didn't pay any price. They just got it. And I was glad to give it to them. Don't misunderstand as a dad. I'm always glad to give my children and the next generation those things. I'm not asking them to walk 10 miles to school in snow up to my shoulders, you know, you know the story. I went to school. Which, no, I, I don't want you. I'll drive you to school. I don't want you to do what I did. I don't want you to have to endure what I endured. I want to make a way. I want to give you good things. But the problem is the minute you give them the nice car, they go out and wreck it. Why do they wreck it? It's because they don't give a flip. I've seen that more times than I can count. I've got to be careful, but I... I, I This car this church was able to facilitate to a young man, nice young man. Many of you may know the story, so I don't want to make it sound any worse than it was, but we facilitated giving a car to a nice young man in our church, and within a week he wrecked it. I'm not blaming him, it was an accident. But can I just share this with you? The next one he bought himself and it's still rolling. Isn't that interesting? And that's the part that I'm sowing into a full gospel congregation is what are you doing as a mom and a dad? Are you helping children understand that what they have here is before the Lord? We are worshiping before the Lord. We are coming before the Lord. This is to be reverenced. It's to be respected. It's not familiar. Jesus died for this stuff. And that's the part that we've lost in our circles. We laugh, we have liberty. Oh, I don't ever want to lose those things. But how, how do you sow back into people's psyche the knowledge that while God is good And he wants to bless you and he wants to prosper you and he wants to heal you and he wants to deliver you and he wants to give you a future and he wants to open doors and he wants to exalt you and he wants to do all these wonderful things. What what has to be said in order to remind us that in all of those good things, because he's such a good father, just like any father should be to his children. But what do we put into the psyche of the people that says, but we can't get flippant with this stuff. Are you with me? That's what was happening at Corinth. They had more Holy Ghost than you and I could even dream of. They had an anointing that you and I have never even tapped into. But they had more problems than you could shake a stick at. And it all boiled down to this. They became flippant and familiar with the things of God. someone says are you trying to put the fear of god in us and yeah yeah i guess i am i guess i am a little i am a little break familiarity and then finally number three consecrate yourself in the lord before the lord i want everything he's got i want to do it his way i've tried it my way i don't know about you i've tried it my way didn't get very far But when we do it his way, we always see amazing supernatural things take place. Well, can you say amen to that? (laughs) And I'm believing you're going to love me through the next three weeks. Stand with me. All right.